supportive workshop podcast where we talk about making and playing games and, you know, occasionally some other things too. My name is Catherine, not a big fan of Smash Brothers Fox. You're just you're just trying to rile me up today. <laughs> I'm Esteban, the Herald of Haptics, Fajardo. Herald of Haptics? What does that mean? Well, you know, like haptic feedback systems, like the HD rumble. Cool. <laughs> so this, uh, this might not mean a whole lot to you, but for any of our listeners who like Smash, I have I have a, a claim I want to lay I want to lay down. Okay. So like Nintendo, they announced these DLC characters for Smash recently. There's going to be five DLC characters. They haven't said who they're going to be, but they have said that they have chosen who these characters are. Okay. And you know, people who like Smash, we we talk a lot about who we think these characters are, and I just want to lay down that I think there is a non-zero chance that minions will be one of the Smash Bros. DLC. Are characters. you kidding me? I would like to provide some evidence. Illumination, to the court. like Animation Studio, the minions. Evidence one. Oh my god. Miyamoto loves the minions. Illumination Studios uh, CEO Chris Melendari—that's his favorite animation, dude. You want to know how I know that? That's his favorite animation, dude. How? Because Illumination is making an animated Mario movie. Oh my gosh! Their relationship is extremely close. Evidence number three: Nintendo has a two billion dollar relationship with Universal Studios, which is the parent company for Illumination. That two billion is going towards developing a Nintendo theme park. Do you know how much the Wizarding World of Harry Potter cost? No. Five hundred million. That's a quarter of how much they're spending on the Nintendo part of the park. So you know what are the chances Nintendo wants to reciprocate, make maybe a Minions game, or include them in some you know cross media branding in the near future as they're as they're tightening this relationship? <clears throat> now, some detractors to this theory okay. are that Ubisoft's Rabbids are pretty much identical to Minions, and they had a huge success in Mario and Rabbids. But it'd be impossible to have both Rabbids and Minions together in Smash. Why? They'd have to choose one of them. Because they're like the same character. What? Nintendo would have to choose one. They'd have to choose one. And I think I think you and I, we both know who they would choose. It'd be that $2 billion <sighs> Minions. Oh no. Now I'm not saying this is a certainty. I'm just saying it's more than a non-zero chance. So it's not only possible, it's maybe likely. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Look, so uh, Jocelyn, <laughs> our guest on the previous episode, ran a Facebook or ran a ran a Twitter poll out of the blue after after I proposed this theory, just asking minions in Smash, yes or no. The results of this poll, after many votes, were like ninety percent no. But <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> some people said yes, and you know what? That is more than zero. <laughs> That is a non-zero chance. <laughs> All right. Well, at the time of this recording is what, like November eighteenth. If any time between now and whenever this episode goes out, uh, they announce that the minions are going to be in Smash, we know now that Esteban knew all along, and he was right. Evidence number four. Oh my god, you have more evidence. When these DLC characters, the, the announcement that sort of spurned this, Sakurai went onto Twitter and said. Please stop tweeting at me about what characters you want in Smash. Nintendo has already selected them. Sakurai, director, was like, Nintendo selected these DLC characters. He was like, look, don't come after me for what shit show is about to emerge. <laughs> Why would Sakurai, a man of impeccable taste, want to distance himself from whichever DLC fighters were chosen? And specifically say that Nintendo chose these ones. 
He's like, look, this was all Miyamoto's doing. I, I, I don't, I don't get this. Okay. The minions will be in Smash. At least there is a zero point zero 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 one percent chance. <laughs> I guess that concludes our Smash Brothers segment. Tell me, tell me about what you've been up to. What, what I've been up to. Been well, I didn't haven't done like much because last weekend I was working on some like game project stuff. Um, but I did uh, I did bite the bullet and I purchased a Nintendo Switch. So I'm now a Nintendog. <laughs> it's my first Nintendo console like ever. Even as a kid, like I only ever had like PlayStation Two. Wait, really? You didn't have like a DS or anything? No, I I oh that's right. I did purchase a DS in college, but like. That, I don't really count that, because that's not like a home console. That's like a thing that mm. I take on the airplane. I mean, you're going to do that with the Switch, too. But That's true, <laughs> but the Switch is like something that could feasibly replace my PS4, which is what I've been using for the past couple of years. And I can, I've had it for like 48 hours, and I can already tell it's going to eat up so much of my wallet and my life. And um, man, what a console, though. It's so good. The Nintendo Switch is a good, cool console. I was shopping on the store, and all the games were just so joyful and nice. It could feasibly replace a PS4 now that it has a... They just had the, the YouTube app added to the Switch, and that's what I spend most of my time on my PS4 doing, is just watching YouTube videos. I do that too, but the, the Switch doesn't have a disk drive, so you can't play like Blu-rays on it. So I don't know. What, do you, what have you been up to? I, I've just been playing video games and stuff. Um, well, my voice is a little dry because I did karaoke for the first time last night. I tried to convince you to go karaoke. I take back everything I said. <laughs> I wish we had gone. Karaoke is amazing. It's great. It's really good. Especially, I've never gone to the one where you can like rent a room. Is, is that the kind you went to? Yeah, we went to Max Karaoke um, in the mall by Little Tokyo. Oh, nice, and yeah. Um, So yeah, it was a room, a couple microphones. They had uh, the, what's it called? The Joy Sound system which is the that's the japanese machine so it was you know we had to specifically ask for that machine so that we could belt out snake eater yeah like the, the entire room like 15 of us all just like erupted into like applause yeah. as soon as like the first drums hit it was like boom 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 and everyone's like ah! it was great <laughs> oh my gosh i love it I'm so jealous I'm so jealous yeah you gotta come back to la and we'll pull everyone together and we'll do we'll do karaoke i'm i am 100 percent on board now yeah karaoke is great like i i don't always have the courage to do it but like yeah, if you're with if you're with friends, it can be it can be fun. Yeah, it's a really good time. Yeah, for some reason, I was under like the impression that um, a legit place like this was going to have some kind of scoring system, and maybe that's just because I've been playing a lot of like Yakuza games <laughs> where the 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 karaoke mini games. I don't like, know that that's actually a thing in karaoke. Maybe not, but I <laughs> my my perspective was highly skewed. <laughs> I mean, you definitely could, because Rock Band did that with like the microphone. Yeah. You had to like match the the, the note pitch. with the tone of your voice. But like, that's a lot of that's a lot of stress to put on somebody who's just doing karaoke. Yeah, I don't want to be graded, especially because I like I know I'm tone deaf. I don't need another machine to tell me that. Yeah, I, like that's <laughs> that's the that's a great thing about karaoke. Like you're expected to be bad, and if you're good, that's great, and everyone's like woohoo. But like it's also just fun to sing badly, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's just no pressure. I'm glad you got to do that. You want to talk about some video games, specifically the ones that we have been putting together? Yeah, I I had an interesting past couple of weeks. I didn't actually work on the Remoon project directly. I, I had an, a little idea that I wanted to mess around with and prototype. So I kind of just did that instead. 
And it's really just like this little um, dress up game, but instead of um, instead of like clothing, you're you're picking food items to put in your lunchbox. It's like a cute little like make your own bento lunchbox game. It's really adorable. Yeah, it's. I wanted to make something really cute and really playable and just really small and simple. After I got it to a good point, I realized with the Raymoon project, I was getting really frustrated with. Um, well, not really frustrated is the wrong word. Maybe like bored. My Previous approach to this project was um, just working on Remoon, like piece by piece, addressing each mechanic as I went, learning what I need to as I go, polishing it up enough to be like satisfying so I could like send it to people and like get some feedback on it, um, and then move on to the next system. For example, uh, learn how to create a character system, get it working, and then move on to the next thing, and then like work on an item pickup system or whatever. But the problem with that is that. It gets boring really fast. The project won't feel like a real game for a really long time. And also thinking about how much else needs to get done before it starts to feel like a real game, like all the other systems I still need to learn about, it just like, it just starts to get overwhelming. This was something that like Jocelyn touched on uh, last time where it started to feel like by the end, making someone else's game and i think that's because one of the biggest challenges with making a game it takes so much time to make anything everything is so complicated but also that like you change so much as a person over time the stuff that you're interested in the stuff that uh grabs you um that can change really quickly and so by the time a month rolls around it can feel like you don't have the same inspiration Mm -hmm. that was really driving you to to begin with and that can be that can be really tough and i've definitely like definitely been feeling that too where it's just like why, why did i think this was such a good idea there's definitely people out there who can stay motivated for a really long time. Um, and I think we mentioned this in like our first episode, but like there are people out there who can have an idea for a game and just like work on it for like a year until it's done. But I'm like, I'm super fickle and I get bored easily. So I, I think I'm going to, um, I think I'm going to change my approach to developing. So I am curious with this, um, unnamed little prototype that you made. Um, what makes it's called, it feel? It's called Pretty Lunch. Pretty Lunch. Yeah. What makes it feel more like a real, uh, a real game or real like substantial progress as opposed to um, the stuff you've been doing? It feels more satisfying to me because it's really just one thing that you're doing. Like, so, so Remoon is an RPG. There's like a million different systems running around in it, but with uh, Pretty Lunch, it's just character customization, basically. So. It's a whole little game or little like toy centered around this one system. Um, so it's really hyper focused on that one thing. So I can really just focus on how to get that to work and how to make it like feel good and whatever. And it's just it's quicker to finish too because it's just that one thing. I like how you you put extra touches like there's a little particle system yeah. explosion when you whenever you click anything, um, and the colors are like very well like considered and stuff. So it feels like a a, a real package. It's the most complicated thing that you've built yet mm-hmm. so far in terms of like so many different things. You've got a UI system going on. You've got uh, assets rotating and changing out. You've got uh, under the hood, it looks like you're probably using a lot of arrays and stuff that you're... Yeah. Um... So really, I guess it's it's a lot of different things that I was doing. So it is a lot more complicated than just like one system. But I don't know. I think because it was so like hyper-focused on doing this one thing, not like creating this big expansive RPG that it just, it felt way more doable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's already to really, really close to a point where I could just throw some art in now and 
give it to people to play. Whereas with Remoon, it's like that's still like years away from mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. It was a great. It was a great exercise. I had to repeatedly uh, remind myself not to do art for it yet because there was still systems to work out, which was a great like little exercise for me. I, I, I do have a system in there for, like, cycling through food items, but it needs a different interface. I don't know. Like, I'm already learning, like, better ways to do this system. Whereas if I had to try if I had to try to do that in Remoon, that system would be in there, but it would be, like, the first iteration of that system, you know? Mm-hmm. If I continue like I've been doing, like, Remoon is just going to be full of these, like, first versions of things that I learned to do, like, right then. Yeah. And they would be, like, terribly designed and really inefficient. So... I think if I if I start making like little little toys and little games like this, I can familiarize myself with building those systems first, and then once I have a better understanding of how they're supposed to work, I can I can always iterate and design on them there rather than muddying up you know the Remoon project and the Remoon design with all these just random things. Yeah, so that's a really that's a really smart approach, um, and a lot of stuff that I hadn't considered. So um, I feel like I just learned a whole bunch. Wow. So my last question is, do you think you're going to continue working on this to add in art and the other changes to the features that you were just talking about? Or are you feeling like you're probably going to spin off and make something new and a a whole different uh, new prototype? I think I do want to continue working on this because I want to try building um, a better interface for choosing what food items to use. And I had a couple of like fun stretch goals, like it gives you like real recipes for each thing that you choose. And I want to try and learn how to do like a simple save system so you can save and load different meals. Yeah, saving, I've only dealt with save systems like a couple of times and it's always way more complicated in theory than it actually is in practice. <laughs> it like really? sounds really scary. Because all like, I really need to like, do ah, is, is save a couple of like array indexes, like three array yeah. indexes. That's all I need, one for each dish yeah but as soon as you say the words write to a file outside of the game that's so scary i yeah. mess it up but no it's it's fine it's it's fine uh, it, well maybe i need easy. you to give me a crash course because I, I i find resources online and i just they just confuse me so i think i'll keep working on pretty lunch a little bit because i i really want to um i really just want to put something out there for people to play which i haven't done in like years so and it's not going to happen with Remoon for a while yeah I put up the first prototype that I worked on um, during our last session. Still hoping to, waiting and hoping to hear some some feedback, get some voices on on what what people think. But yeah, it is definitely gratifying to be able to like have something out there that's just like, hey, look, yeah. here is an imperfect thing. Let me know what you think. You know. Well, I think that's my ten minutes. Do you want to do a a quick palate cleanser segment? Yeah, let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, we could talk about Pokemon Go or Pokemon, Pokemon Let's, Let's Go. Go. Yeah, please tell me, tell me about Pokemon Let's Go. Tell me about the latest, latest hotness in game. Okay, in a word, Pokemon Let's Go is it's just it's just joyful, you know. In a word, so joyful is the word. Joyful is the word. It's just it's it's just it's absolutely overflowing with cuteness. Everything is just so nice and cute and pretty. I don't know. It's just so cute, which. Are your notes just the word cute over and over again? Look, it's just the word cute over and over again. No, I, I, cuteness is something that I've, just like cuteness and just like joy is something that I've been missing from my video games recently. 
because I haven't been playing games like this in a while. Like, I mean, I've been playing Harvest Moon a lot, but joy is not something I feel when I play it, which, you know, <laughs> is whatever. Um, I don't know. There's just like, there's a lot of really cute things about it. Like you have, okay, so you have your starter Pokemon with you all the time. So it's always like sitting on your head and it's adorable. But you can also have a buddy walk around with you so you can choose a Pokemon from your party. And I caught a Bulbasaur really early on. And uh, so now I have like Bulbasaur following me around all the time. And you can actually turn around and talk to it and check on it. And sometimes it's like, ooh, Bulbasaur almost fell over. Whoops, that was close. And it's just like, it's so cute. And it's just a cute, chill time. And so I don't know. There's a lot of really great things about it. It, it, It doesn't... It doesn't waste your time, which um, is something that it, – it's a criticism that I heard about from Sun and Moon. Like, there was a lot of just, like, extra just garbage, like, thrown in there. Yeah, there's, like, a very long tutorial stuff. Yeah, like, cutscenes and, it's like, stuff that's meant to add, like, flavor that just takes up time. But, you know, I haven't really come across much – like, it's, there's still, like, little cutscenes like that. But because it's basically just a remake of Yellow – the cutscenes are really quick, and it's all really charming. There's um the catching mechanic is different now; it's separate from battling. Yeah, so I played Pokemon Red for the very first time pretty recently. Um, like on, red uh, or fire red or no, super red? just red. Okay. Super red. <laughs> no, the 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 very first Pokemon generation uh, was on sale for the 3DS Virtual Console, and so I picked it up for a few bucks and was like, "Yeah, I love Pokemon. I love Pokemon games." I've never played the the first one just because uh, we were a generation too too young, I think. Although maybe I just didn't play games back then. Did you play the first one? I never played the first one. Um, that was okay, like my yeah. older brother's stuff. Yeah, we were just a couple years too young, I think, for the first one. But so I wanted to I wanted to see like yeah, what, what was the genesis of this? Like, what made this game so much of a, like a worldwide smash? Just like immediately right off. And how is it different from the the modern ones that I'm more familiar with? And the feeling I got most of all from Pokemon Red was like it is snappy. Mm-hmm. You do an action, and like the reaction happens like very quickly. You move around, things are quick. There's very little in the way. Dialogue was super super fast. Battles would go by very quickly. A lot was left up to the imagination because the graphics were very lean. There was more sort of like open spaces. You can imagine what the Pokemon's looked like um, because they just had weird designs that they hadn't quite figured out yet. But it was like it was quick. And it was hard for me to go back to other Pokemon games after that, where like everything started to feel like it felt like molasses by comparison to mm-hmm. how snappy Pokemon. You just want to uh, say, was. "Let's go." <laughs> <laughs> Do you get yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. You just want to. You come on, game. Let's go. <laughs> Hurry it up. <laughs> but you know what? Like Pokemon, let's go. It it's it it feels like that. It's very snappy, um, and I think that's because you know it's. Well, it's not a remake. It's like an adaptation of, of Red. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of the dialogue still seems to be like the same, about the same sequencing of events mostly, mm-hmm. it looks like. So I'm very curious. I'm, I'm hopefully going to check it out soon. But I've been playing... Hitman 2 was the game that I, <gasps> I picked up because um, really, really liked the, yeah. the, the 2016 Hitman. We, we, we played that together, right? Yeah, yeah, we played it together, and we're... we're stunned and blown away by it like i hadn't played any hitman games beforehand and i think the reason i had just like glazed over the series up until recently was because the the character agent 47 is such a uncharismatic figure right Mm -hmm. like his his character which is very well defined 
through his animations, through his speech, through his gameplay, is that he is a like just a stone cold stoic machine. Yeah. Um, he doesn't react to any events that are going on around him, um, which is very convenient <laughs> for animation. Um, makes it very easy that in all the wacky situations he can find himself in, like he's always just going to be standing upright and stoic. Um, well, I think a lot of the previous Hitman ones were also just like shooters, right? No, no, they're all kind of like this, actually. They, they were really? sandbox uh, stealth games, but the stealth was much more about disguises. It was about um, manipulating sequences. Like, it's not like uh, Assassin's Creed or Metal Gear in terms of, like, hiding behind stuff and sneaking around. It's it's more mm-hmm. about being a being a spy. But, yeah, the, the character had had put me off of the game because that's the, that's the mascot. That's the figurehead for, like, what the tone and the feeling is going to be. So I didn't expect it to feel oftentimes so so goofy like the game has so much personality it's just like the protagonist is the is the the straight man in 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 the situation where is that is that the uh, around him is that the vibe you got from the first one or i mean Uh, 2016 from the 2016 hitman yeah yeah that's that's sort of the vibe that i got from it like i started realizing oh all the characters around him they're like these they're just odd goofballs yeah it's basically like a cartoon yeah it's such a cartoon and it has such a weird sense of humor it's great (laughs) It's really good, and I love how each of the levels are these clockwork puzzles that um, you step into the levels, and even if it's the first time you're there, there's so much life going on around you that you can figure out what you can sort of grab onto, what you overhear, and learn how to navigate through the space. Like it just, it feels so dense. Everyone around you has some story, has some narrative that's going on. Uh, every really, every really NPC cool. has a really detailed schedule, and there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of different ways you can approach something, and it's it's really impressive, actually. Like, that game, that game is is pretty astounding, I'd say. But the game I've been having the most fun with recently is, of course, Super Mario Party. I've talked <laughs> about Mario Party so much already, and well, you know what? I want to Super know Mario Party's about, great. <laughs> I want to I want to know more about Hitman too, because like. The first I want to talk one. about Mario Party. But... Mario Party is so good. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to talk about Mario Party, that's fine. Are you, are you, like the new one, or yeah, yeah. So... Like what? It's good. Like why though? <laughs> the new one for Switch is the best Mario Party that they've ever made. I'm going they, to just they've ever say made. that ever made out of all the Mario Parties. I mean, um, they're all this terrible. One's the best one. No, they they <laughs> they are mostly pretty much all terrible. This one's very good though. They rebalance the economy. Um, okay. Everything is cheaper. You earn less stars or less coins for everything, and so the discrepancy in coins that different players will have is much slimmer, and that means it's very easy to um, to catch up to each other. And so they simplified the economy, rebalancing that like really, really, really helps the game out from like a systems design perspective. And the boards now have uh, like really clever gimmicks that really intersect with that system in a different way. Like the boards. So it's not just, like, aesthetic? Yeah, and the boards have always been, like, more than just aesthetic. Like, there's always been something weird with each map. But um, the weirdness didn't always intersect with, like, the systems that the players are really using um, in the same way that this one does. This one does cool stuff where, like, there's a route you can take, and it's a really dangerous route, and if players try to take this route, a boulder can come by and just wipe everybody back to the beginning (laughs) of the map. Wow. Um, and so there's like really you, you start getting really strategic about where to go and you're thinking about the map in a deeper way than you do in other ones. And there's like a map where you can buy multiple stars and the price of the stars fluctuates and changes depending on what people are doing on the So there on is the map. an economy, like a stock market. 
Yeah, basically. And so uh, <laughs> it, it makes it more strategic and uh, players have to think about when they're going to approach the approach the start or, or not, or whether they should hold off, hoard their money so that they could buy a bunch of stars all at once uh, towards the end. And so it sounds like it, there's like, more strategy involved this time. Yeah, it's much more strategic. And usually the characters have their own special dice that have different values on it that are either high risk, high reward, or they're um, more predictable dice. Like if you play as a shy guy, you can roll a normal one through six die, or you can roll a die that's all fours except for one zero. Okay. And so you're pretty much guaranteed to know what spot you would land on if you use that die, which is really powerful. I love um, shy guy. But uh, someone else could have a die that's got like two ones, but two tens. And so like there's a chance that you have really low rolls, or you could have something that's really, really high. Um, and that breaks things up in a bit in that like you have something to sort of blame but every turn you have a choice so you're not just rolling the die and like you get what you get and then you move and you're really only making decisions during the mini game being able to choose between two different die make you feel like you have a lot more agency in the game and so it's really really good i love so, it <laughs> yeah it sounds like it sounds like who you are as well like also matters a lot more than in previous games it lets you blame your character <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Rather, like, but like choosing a specific character will give you like predictable like different options as opposed to choosing a different character yeah yeah and it often doesn't matter a whole lot like it doesn't actually have such a huge effect on the game that um choosing bowser will be better than choosing mario but you can blame your bad luck on <laughs> on something you'd be like <laughs> oh this character is terrible and unlucky um and when a game has so much chance in it uh it's nice to be able to to, to place blame on something, even if it's completely <laughs> untrue. Well, did you win? Uh, no, we like got completely shut out. <laughs> but the first time, the very first time we played Super Mario Party, I won because no one knew any of the mini games, so I was able to get a quick leg up. But okay, so you, you won the first time, but you lost the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time. We've played a lot. Of, we've played a lot of Super Mario Party. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> Mario Party is really good right now. People should play Super Mario Party. So what? So how? How has your? How has your uh, last two weeks been? Yeah, I have less progress to show than you. I That's okay. I've been working super hard, but on other games, and I haven't had very much time to work on this. And a lot of the stuff that I was working on is um, uh, less tangible for me to be able to show. Like I've been doing a lot of research on the, uh, like on typography, to try and figure out the aesthetic design, which was something that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. I'm making a investigation game that tries to adapt werewolves uh, mechanics into a single player video game by procedurally generating characters that you have to uh, deduce what their role is in in this story by conversing with them. And so the static, I want it to look like a book from the future. That's been like the the tagline for for a while. I haven't figured out what that's going to look like yet. And I need more, uh, I need more graphic design background in order to, to realize it in some regards. Um, So I've been doing a lot of research to try and figure that out. And I'm also trying to figure out, um, Stuff about the settings and what sort of motivations the NPCs might have. Yeah, so currently the conflict is that someone is getting murdered every night and you need to figure out who's behind it. So every night somebody dies? Every night someone dies. Wow, uh, Which is very easy to grasp onto on a mechanical level. Um, it's a predictable, repeating series of events. 
and there's a lot of fiction that it like can can reference in that in that regards right um murder mysteries are not not an uncommon genre but i'm also trying to think through what what could be part of the engine of this of this conflict well i i remember in the prototype there was some talk about uh an oxygen farm and an airlock um and those are both things that are relevant to the entire community so you could you could think about like what is something that everybody relies on regardless of their status of where they work and who they are what is something that everybody would care about maybe building something around that yeah so maybe i'm trying to think like if they're on a on a traveling small space colony would there be value in someone having the entire colony for themselves to then try and sell or do something with maybe that could be part of a, a part of a driving motivation is there a motivation from some uh, extra party outside of the main cast that would benefit from everybody in in this situation being gone and and therefore someone is uh working with this extra party to do so are you trying to develop like the the overall narrative i'm just trying to get some ideas do some brainstorming and um it because it could manifest in gameplay in some regards when we did the um the prototype test last time you're very surprised when you cue someone and they immediately turned into a tombstone which from a gameplay system makes sense but has nothing in the narrative yeah. to Un- unless to like unless the, per- the killer like has a grudge against people who get accused of or like is trying to punish me specifically <laughs> like do you know how a murder on the orient express ends yes yes i do <laughs> okay well those all i definitely all cannot char- do that <laughs> i like, cannot all those do characters that ended up being connected to the same thing which i actually am not very satisfied with how that whole situation gets resolved i think it was actually kind of boring Oh, um, really? Yeah, because it's like... It's too tidy. Okay, I could say, like, may, should I spoil it? It's, 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 there was no answer. Like, everybody was the right answer, basically. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, everybody did it. What? I guess. And it ended up being like, it's not really a mystery. It's more like an observation about human nature. So, I don't know. I, I feel like mystery stories, a lot of the times... They, there, there's two ways to approach, like, a mystery. The fun of it could just be, like, you have something that happened and you're, like, trying to figure it out and there's all these clues and that's cool. But there's also, like, those stories that try to make some kind of commentary on something. So, I don't know. I guess it really depends on... I'm not really a good writer, so I don't know if I can give you very good narrative advice. So the mechanics are built around lying and deceit. And trying mm-hmm. to uncover, uncover lying like that is the the most important part of the mechanic, beyond anything else. What are the reasons for lying and trying to untangle that from from a, a generating web with limited resources to to see the full picture? So every every person is motivated by something else. So you could you could simplify it down to like okay, here's this character. They're motivated by you grab like money from a list. Okay, this person is motivated by money. Oh, this person is motivated by, I don't know what else people are motivated by, <laughs> but like, companionship. Like this is this is, this this is what is yeah companionship. This one, um, and that and that kind of informs how they would react to to things. Okay, yeah. So it could break things down into different motivations. A lot of this thinking is like sort of also spurned by the um, procedurally generating mysteries uh, talk that you that you sent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did how did you did that help? That talk? Yeah, it was really, really cool. The The talk mostly 
centers around the idea of events happening that change individuals and the individuals have memory of that event and the changes to the individuals could then spur subsequent events that would impact other individuals. And so that system for, um, for building relationships through history, I thought was really, really interesting. And it made me start thinking like, okay, is it possible to procedurally generate motivations with relationships between characters in a similar way? But that's such a big question at the moment that I'm just sort of like thinking through that as I build up some of the more set in stone aspects of the of the game. Like, so this, so this talk is Procedurally Generating History in Caves of Cud by Jason Grinblatt. I'm probably saying that wrong. But... Um, his so basically his um historical figures had like a series of properties like that would get updated as events were generated they had they had a name of course and like where they were from but they also had like who they're allied to like their alliance and they also had like a motif that would that would um follow them throughout so like for example one one character had like ice as a motif so that would crop up every once in a while in some of the text strings. So, I don't know, maybe it would help to think about what a character needs to have in, in your system. Or maybe that's working backwards. I don't know. I don't know, but I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore that more um, and try to figure out how to, how to do systems like that because that was a very thought-provoking talk. So are you going to, so what are you going to do? Like, are you going to try and approach it from a narrative perspective first? Um, I'm going to hopefully be doing both of these at the same time, which is foolish, but I'm going to continue developing some of the gameplay features and stuff that I know that I want. I want to develop the journal. I want to develop the affinity system uh, that I have in mind, and I want to uh, continue iterating and developing the visual style. Um, At the same time, I want to figure out some some systems-based stuff with regards to how the characters are, are made. And that might just be a lot of pen and paper work. So I'll do that when I'm like traveling around. And then when I'm at my computer, I'll probably be developing the other stuff. But that's just what's on my mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna be working to make sure I have a new a new playable prototype that I can I can get out to people in one form or another. And Although I do have a challenge for us. Oh. We might we might wanna do some kind of like holiday thing. And have a cute like holiday game out for holiday the holiday game? times for people to play. I have a story about holiday games, but I'm gonna save that for the next episode. But I would love to talk more about doing a little holiday holiday thing. Okay, we'll talk more about that next time then. As that rolls around. Holiday games maybe. Speaking of holidays, everyone will be listening to this after Thanksgiving, so I hope they had a good Thanksgiving. We were recording this beforehand, but um are you doing anything cool for I am going to have Thanksgiving with some friends. It's going to be fun. Oh, nice. Good. Which is what I've done for the past couple of years. And, like, Friendsgivings are great. They're so like, good. They're so good. Uh, what are you going to do? I'm going to do a similar thing. I'm going to have some, have some people over. Oh, nice. We'll eat some food. We will watch some anime. And we're going to have a good time. I, I have a yearly tradition of watching The Princess Bride <laughs> on Thanksgiving. It's just, like, my personal thing that I started doing in college. But yeah, that's probably what I'll do. Well, happy holidays to all. And we'll talk before the year end, so we'll we'll talk about New Year's garbage soon. Catherine, do you have any any final lessons that you've really taken away from from all this? Final lessons. Uh follow your heart. Whoa. And make and make what you want. No, um it Don't follow I, your heart. <laughs> I think my lesson is that making games is more fun. When I'm making what I want to make in any particular time. 
<laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. And it's still, it's still going to help me because these are still systems that I'm going to use in the future anyway. I need to, I need to learn how to do them. So I'm just going to do them in smaller bite-sized packets. And it's going to be fun. And people are going to have more stuff to play. So look forward to that. I don't know. What's your lesson? I, everything you said is definitely what I learned I learned from, from you this week. But um, you know what you learned from me this week? You learned that the minions are going to be in Smash Bros. I curse you for this knowledge that you've <laughs> given me. Well, I hope everybody listening has had a good time. We'll catch up in two weeks. Reconvene on the free Wi-Fi network. Boop, 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 boop. Bloop, bloop, bloop. We don't have... Is that we the outro? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, goodbye. Bye, Fox. Talk to you later. Congratulations, you made it to the end of the episode. Uh, as a reward, you get to listen to the super secret segment that we have now uh, dubbed the Haptics Corner. Okay, so we're, we're just talking off mic about the Nintendo Switch's um, HD Rumble. And how it works. And I think it works in a very cool, interesting way. So typical Rumble features in um, PlayStation 2 controller and the PlayStation 3 controller and the PlayStation 4 controller and the Xbox controllers and the GameCube controller. Every controller that had Rumble up until this point uses a rod with a weighted end on its side. So when the rod spins, the weight spins around with it and the acceleration of that weight as its velocity changes, it shakes the entire package with it. And so you feel the controller shake as it does. And part of why it's called a dual shock is because it has two of these rumble rods in it. So it's got two motors in it, not just on the left and the right, but each one has a, um, a bigger one and a smaller one. The bigger one is called a thumper, I think. And the smaller one is a buzzer. Bigger one is slower to accelerate, but it that, that's the one that like, swings the controller that makes it feel like whoop. whereas the buzzer is a smaller motor that spins very rapidly and can um it's more like it's more of a buzz it's a ring it's like it's like uh that one's more electric and the other one is more of a, a thwomp and so by putting them in sequence the the speed at which it spins the duration at which it spins and which of those two are spinning at which time that's how you get some sophisticated rumble so like a horse in shadow of the colossus feels like a gallop it feels like ba-dump like you feel the swinging forward and back and forward and back because it's how it's using the the thumper to have the cadence that's appropriate for it what the nintendo switch does is a completely new and different way of uh doing rumble this is a, a system that's used on iphones fairly recently to get their more sophisticated touch rumble the way that those systems work is instead of rotating rods what they have is they have a magnet embedded in a spring with magnet, other magnets on either side. When the magnet activates, it can pull or repel the weighted magnet inside of the spring to it or away from it. And so what that does is you can change the uh, the vibration of this weight inside of a spring. And so if it's oscillating very widely, it'll feel more like that thump. But if it's oscillating very, very finely, just small, then that feels more like the buzz. And you can control that with a very fine detail because it's electrically controlled instead of analog. So it's a, it's a spectrum of feeling that uh, can be much finer, and it also happens immediately. Like, it takes time for, even though it's just a fraction of a second, it takes time for 
the older rumble systems to, to spin around, but the magnet ones don't. And so the iPhone gets it so that it feels like there's touch anywhere on the screen where you can press it because they have four of these set up in each corner of the screen and they're connected to a, uh, a grid and it'll rumble on the particular part of the grid so that it feels like at that, like approximately at the point where something is being felt. That's how I understand how the iPhones work in, in theory. I don't know enough particular details of how the Switch's rumble sort of system does, but I do know that it uses the, the magnets instead of the uh, rotators. There's a lot of really neat details that they can do fun stuff like you can feel how many balls are rolling around inside of it if you just like imagine like you can feel stuff doing it it's really really good it's really cool so anyways that's our haptic feedback corner with your host esteban the herald of haptics peace goodbye